we're talking about obedience this month. And when we talk about obedience, often comes with a lot of difficult perceptions. So we need to work through the perceptions to get to what Jesus was saying about obedience. Because if you just think of obedience, nobody thinks of obedience as, as a lekker ding nie. Whoever you think of, wow, I want to be, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be obedient today. One day in my, when I'm old, I want to be obedient. Nobody has those kind of goals. But actually, if you read scripture, obedience is a big thing. The first five books of the Old Testament, it's called the Torah, which means law. If there's a law, then the law asks obedience. So the Jews understood that the first five books of the Bible, it spoke about God saying, these are the rules. And often when we think of obedience, we think of rules. And when we think of rules, we think of the things that we're not allowed to do. We think of it from a negative point of view. We're not allowed to smoke. We're not allowed to have sex before marriage. We're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. And those things, by the way, are good rules. I think if we just, if we can get the Ten Commandments and make that our, our rules for, for life in South Africa and everybody gets governed by them, we'll have a pretty good country, don't you think? It's not a bad thing, so rules are not bad. But I, in a way, I want to I pull you along into what Jesus says about obedience because we want to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Because eventually, we want to see the impact that God has planned out for us through our lives and bring glory to Jesus Christ. All of you are keen for that. We want to glorify the Father. So there's a, there's a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He's the guy that helped C.S. Lewis to get saved through his writings. He said this, The true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of of him, but because he loves what is behind him. And I think we often have that perspective when it comes to obedience. We just want to not do the wrong thing. We want to keep ourselves from the negative, from the sin. But God's saying, listen here, I want you to understand there's a relational transaction that needs to happen in order for you to be the soldier that I commanded you to be, that I want you to be. And that transaction happens when we understand who's behind us, who's saying, hey, go, go. I, I back you. I want you to accomplish this thing. I want you to wake up at four o'clock, do the finances for your dad, then come to church, then listen to your boss, do the graphic design, do the video editing, and do your photography over the weekend, and you're going to bless Jesus, and you'll worship on the Sunday. You're going to be blessed. That's Eddie, by the way. So who's behind us? Who's behind these so-called rules, the Word of God? Who is this? So we need to talk about love and obedience before we can get to the core of what it means to be obedient to God. So John 14, Luke already touched on this, but I want to just give my perspective on this. Not that Luke's theology is off, but also that I feel it's such an important aspect of obedience. And Jesus 
so clearly explains this in John 14. So from verse 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Great statement. Thank you, Jesus. You'll do works, and you'll do even greater works than Jesus, because I'm going to the Father, says Jesus. And then verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. So here already we see God's calling us for a big task. You think you're overwhelmed with your, your small admin job or your studies or getting through matric or, hey, applying for this and this. And you don't know how you're going to be able to fit in all of this in a day. And Jesus is saying, there's a greater job for you. You're going to do greater things than I did. But here's the key. You're going to do it in my name. There's a relationship that I want you to step into. You're going to ask it of me and I'm going to do it through you. So important to understand that. So you cannot do it without God. And we often, we leave that first three verses and we just start with verse 15. So think of that being the context. God inviting us to do great works. And then he says in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in between verse 15 and verse 21, it speaks of the Holy Spirit that will come and they will help us to do these things that God has called us to do. It will help us in being obedient. The greater works we cannot do, but through the Holy Spirit's empowerment, we can do them. Think of, think of it in this way. you playing Djokovic in the final of the Wimbledon. And you just arrive there on court. It is impossible for you to beat Djokovic. Because you just, Mishak, you don't even know if you're playing paddling and if this is tennis. You don't know. You don't even know who Djokovic is. There you have it. And in a, in a way... God then fulfills this. He says, hey, listen here, you need to play Djokovic. And he says, listen here, but I'm going to give you the abilities of Federer when he was younger. I'm going to give you those abilities. But do you know who Federer is? Okay, great. Can somebody just come in and help me shag you? And then God says, okay, you're going to play Djokovic, but I'm going to give you Federer's spirit. And you will be able to play with Federer's spirit, which means his abilities, his mindset, everything that he needed to be the champion, I'm going to give to you. Then obviously you'll have a chance because you will become Federer. And that is what the gospel is. It is we become like Jesus when we surrender to Jesus and he fills us with his Holy Spirit, then the greater works that is possible because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit 
that helped Jesus doing these great works, that spirit is now living on the inside of you. So verse 21 says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So what does that manifest mean? It means that God wants to reveal himself to us. He's like, this, this is my great desire. If you love me, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to manifest myself to you. This is God's desire throughout the ages. He wants to be with you and he wants to reveal himself to you. Everything about him. It's, it's a great statement. Thank you, Jesus. We'll take that. Please manifest yourself to us. And then Judas, not Iscariot, so not the bad guy, said to him, Lord, how is that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Then Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will be obedient and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Again, Massive statement. We will come and make our home with that person. God wants to occupy your space. Think of what God represents. Think of his mercies, his grace, his holiness, his goodness, his power. And he says, if you love me, you're obedient. I'm going to manifest myself to you. And not only that, I'm going to stay with you. I want to be with you. That is God's desire. Somehow we think like God's always like, no, I don't want to mingle with these bad people, these evil people. Look at them. No, God wants to be with us. And love and obedience makes that possible for him to come and dwell with us. Beautiful. Verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. He so wants to get this point nailed down in the disciples' heads and minds and hearts. He's like, hey, listen here. This is not only me saying this to you. It's the Father God, Yahweh. This is the one saying this through me. Love and obey. There's a promise connected to that. Hey, listen here, we have a job to be done. But you cannot do this on your own, but you need to love me, you need to obey me. If you say that you love me, please also obey me. So to summarize this in plain English, Jesus is saying, don't say you love me if you're not obeying me. So massive, hard statement. Don't say you love me if you don't obey me. And then somebody would say, yeah, but look here, that's what I've always said to the Christian people. You have a slave driver God. He just wants obedience. He wants robots and they must just fulfill what he wants to do and do all these ABC laws and then you'll be fine with God. I don't want anything to do with that kind of God. It's often what people say. But here's the logic behind what God's saying. And I've put it into three points for you. 
Obedience is easier if we love the person giving the commands. My wife saying a Monday morning, listen, Amor, please take out the black bags. It's my job, but she often tell me to do it because I forget. If that relationship is good, if I'm good standing with my wife, then it's easy. Then it's like, oh, sorry, I'll quickly go and do it. If that relationship is not great, it's like, mm. obedience is so much easier if you love the person giving the commands. So much easier. Remember when I just fell in love with Cornell? I was doing dishes. We went on holiday. I was doing everything. It was just so easy to do all the hard work. I just wanted to do it with her. Lovers are better workers. That is true. Number two, love is easier when we, if we know that the person we need to love, sorry, need to obey is absolutely good. Say obey there is absolutely good. So the one that we love is absolutely good. So what does that mean? That means that if he gives a command, he's not only thinking of himself, he's not only trying to get a bunch of slaves together to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in life. No, he's actually doing it so that you can benefit from it. So obedience is ultimately a selfish act. Selfish. Because it will benefit you more than it will benefit God. Because he's absolutely good. And then lastly, therefore, obedience to God should be easier because we know that God is absolutely good. It should be easier. Every command in the Bible is there to bless us. But we think, well, God's limiting our freedom. I want to have absolute freedom. I want to decide what to do with my life. I don't want to listen to that old book, and I'm not going to listen to that man up there. I'm, this is my life. But God, he created you. He wrote the manual for you. He created the world. He put everything together. He understands how this world works. So if he gives you a command, it's to your benefit, and you're going to be blessed by it. Charles Spurgeon said, obedience is the hallmark of faith. We cannot claim to trust in God if we do not obey him. So you say that you love him, you have faith in God, but you're not going to obey him. Or at least you're not going to obey these rules. You know better. If we say that we believe in God, we trust God, then we need to trust his word. And we need to think of him being good. And we need to think of these rules that we see as rules will actually lead to blessing. 
because it's in a relationship that we're walking at our obedience. We're asking, hey, Lord, do this. Lord, we want to see the greater works. Lord, we want to bring glory to your name. How do we do that? Your kingdom first. Thank you, Jesus. How do we do that? All of us are actually obeying, but not necessarily God. You're obeying Satan. You're obeying other people. You're obeying your own fleshly desires, but all of us are obeying. All of us are actually very obedient. Point at yourself and and say, I'm very obedient. The question is, to what are you obedient? And this has been the problem from the beginning, Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Adam and Eve story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden you must not touch it or you will die you will not certainly die the serpent said to the woman for God knows that when you eat from it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and ate it she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So at first, Adam and Eve, they were obedient to God and worked out well. They had good relationship with God. They planted a few trees and they named a few animals. And it seemed like, wow, there's harmony. A perfect space for little children to grow up. But then Eve became obedient to what? To God? No, to the voice of the devil. She obeyed him. But also, you can see how the devil works. He deceives us, deceives her, and he puts a seed of doubt in her mind about who God is, his goodness. So somehow she lost her faith in the goodness of God. And then she started seeing with her own eyes. So she started being obedient to her fleshly desires. And she looked at the fruit and saw, wow, it looks great. Why would I not take of this? That's how sin works, by the way. You know why sin is a problem? Because it feels great doing sin at first. Horrible afterwards. And if you do it continuously, you just mess up not only your life, but also the people around you's lives. It looks desirable. It looks like a good thing sometimes even. And then we see that Adam then listens to his wife. He's obedient to his wife. So we have four voices that we are obeying in life. The one is God, the other one is Satan, other people in our own desires. So are you obeying the devil? In other words, your own will desires feelings. And we call that arrogance. <laughs> if you think that you know better than God. It's, it's a massive problem in society now. 
to, I, I feel like a woman, I have a male body, so now I'm going to be a woman. It's arrogance. That's how God made you to be, and now we have no fear of God, no reverence for the creation, the way that God made us. So we're going to choose to be obedient to our feelings, but it feels right. Now, God, I rather want to watch pornography because it feels right. It gives me a kick. Lord, I, I rather want to move in with my girlfriend because it makes financial sense. It feels right. Is it the right thing? No, it's not the right thing, by the way. So what we are saying, if we start following and being obedient to our own feelings, our own will, our thoughts, and our clever ideas, we're just saying, hey, we know better than God. Then also we listen to thoughts in our head that's, that seems godly, but they're not. Hey, you are unworthy. That's also one of the thoughts that we are so obedient to. Hey, God, I've now messed up for 25 years. I've done everything that was evil, everything. I've never been to a fierce sphere. I've never been to any kind of church camp. And now I'm in this, in this church with these holy people. Surely you cannot use me to preach the gospel to other people. Surely I cannot be in your army. You're obedient to a lie from the devil. You need to understand that God's saying, hey, you are worthy. And you're like, no, I'm not worthy. That's also arrogance. You think you know better than God. If God says you are holy and you are forgiven, then you are holy and then you are forgiven. And by the way, that will actually help you not to listen to your feelings and your desires. You, if you start thinking that you're unholy, you start thinking that you're in this unholy, sinful mess, and this is your identity, you're going to start acting in faith. Because this is who you are. So in faith, I will sin. In faith, I will watch pornography. In faith, I will commit sexual immorality. Because you think that is who you are. You need to take those voices and stop obeying them. Because if you know that God's saying, hey, listen here, Gaia, you are holy. And now Gaia's ex-girlfriend says, hey, Gaia, move in with me. Guys, going like, I'm, I'm holy. Look, I'm tempted. But I just want to say, I said no, because I know I'm holy. I'm a warm-blooded man. So I was tempted, but I know that my primary identity is that I'm holy. Because that's what God's speaking over me. So I'm not going to be obedient to this temptation. And then the devil also speaks through other people. Some of you have had horrible words spoken to you by the devil through your mom and your dad. Unfortunately, it should have never happened, but those things happen. That you are worthless. You will never make it in life. That you are the reason why they're in such a mess. Don't be obedient to those traumatic moments in your life. Say no to them. 
Don't allow for the intimidation of people to tell you, hey, do not go for God. For me, the, the voice of the devil is so clear. I have this picture in my mind. I've been to many bachelor parties, and some of them not very saved bachelor parties. But it's those guys that tell the Christian guy, down it, down it, down it, down it. And what happens? He gets drunk on his bachelor party. By the way, it shouldn't happen like that, just so you know. Can we change that? Why do you need why do you need alcohol at a bachelor party anyway? And then now at his at his wedding day, now I'm helping him a little with his with his with his wedding because I know him and I want to build a relationship with him. Now I need to work with him through the shame. And now he needs to stand there, because this is what we do when people get married. We ask the first question Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And have you accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior? Now, all his buddies that said, Down it, down it, they're standing there, some of them even best men, and now he's going to say, Yes. Who are you listening to? Who are you obeying? And yes, the great thing is the guy who's drunk at his bachelor party, who goes into marriage without God and then meets God at a mighty men conference or meets God at a church or a small group, he is completely whole in that moment. God makes him holy and God forgives him and he can walk walk out of it and he can be obedient for the rest of his life. God's so good. He's so graceful. But you don't have to end up in that desperate place with no friends and full of shame before you meet with Jesus. Just meet with him now and be obedient. He will save you lots of issues. So say no to peer pressure. Say no to intimidation. And we want to be obedient to God. What does that mean? It means that we are obedient to the purpose that God has called us or the yes that we have given to him. It's our devotion unto him. We are devoted to him. We are devoted to advancing his kingdom. And therefore, there are so many non-negotiables. You tell your friends, hey, this is my non-negotiable. I want to glorify Jesus, so I'm not going to have you throwing beer down my throat at my bachelor party because I want to glorify Jesus among my unsaved friends. And then what will obedience and look in friendships and also in work relationships? It will be a place for honor. Where I honor Luke to speak into my life, into my marriage. Where I honor Dion to come to me and say, hey, listen here, the way that you're speaking to your wife and to your children, you need to work on that. It's wrong. I would honor them. There's accountability. But then there also there will be submission. Where I understand that I'm under authority. I have people that speak into my lives. I have a boss. 
I have a husband. I have people that I work with in certain projects and I need to listen to them and I willfully obey because I know that that is what God expects of me also to obey people. That's why one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your parents because I think God's saying, listen, yeah, I'm going to expect these young children to grow up and then they must mature and I'm going to give them massive projects, massive assignments, and they need to learn obedience. So they need to learn when to brush their teeth, when to go to bed, when to make their beds, so that eventually when I give them the assignment to go into the world and to change the world, they'll be able to say yes. So we need people also around us. Accountability, submission. So let's work on a obedience game plan how can we stay obedient number one give your first yes to god and your nose will be easier matthew 6 33 is something that i live by seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and everything else will be added so if this thing that i have to choose now doesn't fit in with those principles the value of seeking god first and his righteousness i'm not going to do it i'm not going to do it We shouldn't be governed by, hey, where can we make the most money or where can we have the most comfort? We should be governed by obedience. Where can I seek God's kingdom the best? Where can I seek his righteousness the best? So what is your yes? Do your friends know your yes? I had the privilege in the last month to do two funerals. Funerals are scary, but great evangelistic events. Because people are confronted with death. I find it to be a massive opportunity for growth in my own life when I do funerals, because I'm confronted with death. Because I hear the stories. What matters when somebody is dead? What's the most important thing? And it usually comes down to, Hey, this person had great relationships or this person didn't have great relationships. And this is the great commandments of the Bible, is to love God and to love people. If you love God, you're going to love people better. So what are your friends going to say one day at your funeral? Are they going to say, hey, this guy just sought out his own comfort and he was a party animal wow we had great times or are they gonna say this guy lived a life in abundance and following jesus he loved the people around him loved his wife loved his children the last funeral lady stood up at the end and she said hey this is my dad who passed on i'm from his first marriage, the oldest, my two sisters are not here because they didn't have a relationship with him. Can we please pray? And she pointed at the Domini, which is me. Hey, Domini, can we please pray for my sisters also to make right with my father? He's already dead, but hey, they need to make right with him. You don't have to wait for somebody else to stand up at your funeral to say things like that. You just do it yourself now. 
And it starts with obeying Jesus Christ. So that means yes to relationship, but also it includes a yes to trust. Hey God, I'm in a relationship with you, but also I trust you and I trust your word. I trust this to be the infallible word of God. And then also yes to obey even if you don't understand. I love baptisms. It's one thing that I don't understand. But I know how powerful that is if you get baptized. I really struggled with getting baptized because I come from a Dutch Reformed background. My dad's a Dermany. I, I thought I didn't need to be, get baptized. But it's in Scripture. So I obey because I trust the one who wrote Scripture. And walking with people in ministry, I've seen the fruit of people just obeying, getting wet. That's what baptism is from, from a person looking from the outside in, just getting wet. But no, because it's an obedience, there's power behind it. So you don't need a word from the Lord to get baptized. You must just say yes. I love that Megan got baptized last week. It's a glorious story. I don't know where Megan is going to ask this story. It's amazing. Near Megan. <laughs> just get baptized. It's, it looks stupid, but it's obey God. God says you must wait for sex until you are married. Then just obey God. Everything in your body, if you're young, is going to say, no, it's a stupid rule. But obey God. God says you are male and you are female. Then just obey God. And allow for the Lordship of Jesus Christ to change your sexuality if you have feelings for the same sex. Just allow for that to happen. It's not that difficult to see the power of Jesus in obedience when we obey God. So obey Him even if we don't understand because we understand that He's a good God. And if God says to you, hey, you need to Love this friend that hates you. Then love him. Because that's what he says. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. To pay your taxes. That's also what God's saying. Saying we are in taxes. That doesn't make sense to me. But I have to do it. Because Jesus said, hey, give to the Caesar, to, to Caesar what is his to the king what's his, but also to God what's his. And then limit possible temptation. I've been praying this a lot, Matthew 6, 13, the Our Father prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, do not lead me into temptation. Because I'm looking at my children, I'm looking at you, and I'm thinking, if I mess up, if I mess up, their souls will be open for the seducive spirits of demons to come and minister to them in pain and trauma. My dad was a pastor and he messed up. And I don't want to be that guy. So please pray for me. So immerse yourself in the word daily. 
The word will change you. Choose your friends wisely. Your inner circle of friends should be the people that keep you accountable. That say to you, listen here, Kaya, I love you, but you need to stop swearing. Hey, listen here, Luke, you need to spend more time with, with Jesus. I've now, I've gone away with you for a weekend and I never saw you spending time with Jesus. Are you spending time with Jesus? Have those friends. Invite them into your life. So important. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. All of us are tempted in this, in this area of peer pressure. Okay, band, you can come up. You need to obey me, obey me, Eddie. Okay, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to have a conversation with the Lord about this statement. Jesus saying, don't say you love me if you're not obeying me. If that is something true of your life, that you say that you love God, but you're not obeying him, just say, sorry, repent before the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to make it right. I want to obey you. Let's make that commitment. And maybe it can just start tomorrow when we fast. So Lord, I'm going to give up food tomorrow. I'm going to come to First Love at 6.30.